All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I am so glad. That, okay, a couple of you were motivated. And a couple of you are like sort of like annoyed. Like, let's get this thing going. All right. Listen, my name is Chris Pleckenpool, and I'm so glad that all of you are here. And we are in the middle of a series called Who's Your Trainer? Now, if you have any questions about like anything, like this is the part where you're supposed to ask questions. We like questions. We're not afraid of questions. Text me at that number on the screen. And then uh, I will get that podcast up hopefully by Tuesday-ish. Uh, and then I would love to be able to kind of respond, interact with all of you, whether it's to do with the sermon, because you're like, man, I love the great parenting sermon series. You're so amazing. You want to give me amazing compliments. Or if you want to be like, you're a complete idiot. I don't understand how any of that makes sense. Explain that to me. I would love to engage all questions uh, and every frame of reference uh, possible. So love that. Okay. Um, so we're in a series called Who's Your Trainer? And um, before we begin, man, uh, something happened this, this week that, that caused great you know, heartbreak, bittersweet. Uh, Peter Horn, I don't know if you guys know who Peter is. He was a, a lead pastor at Hill Country Bible Church, Leander, and uh, he passed away this Thursday. And so for me, he's a personal friend of mine. He, he and I served together on the, the board of the Association of Hill Country Churches. Uh, he was a part of planting several churches uh, uh, in Austin, and incredible lead pastor out there at Hill Country Bible Church Lander. And so for me to hear that and to experience that on, on Thursday was just jarring, because here is a man who gave his life to the proclamation of the gospel. And one of the comments, you know, because all the, the pastors of the association, we all talk and text and do all that. And one of the things that you know, sort of came up is that you know, 25 years from now, when there's about 100 plus churches uh, planted by our association, we're all going to look back and remember the hero uh, that Peter Horn was and the legacy that he left because it was powerful in the lives of men and women who are now following his footsteps of being bold proclaimers of the gospel. And that's sort of the vein I want to take this morning. It's sort of like taking what Peter did as sort of raising up another generation, pouring his life into people, uh, into the family of God, to have sort of the spiritual children. And listen, here's one of the things that I think everybody here wants to have is a legacy. Now, I don't know if your legacy is going to be like Peter Horn and people are going to be talking about you 25 years from now about, that, about the guy that planted churches, but you are going to have a legacy impact whether you want to or not, even if that legacy impact is nothing. And so my heart is, is that we would have this desire um, to leave our legacy through spiritual children. And so this is kind of the fun part is like, I know for the past couple of weeks, we've sort of emphasized like, hey, like this, if you don't have kids, this is for you as well. Well, this literally means if you don't have kids, this is literally for you as well. But it also has implications for those of you who do have physical, biological children. All right, so we all want to have um, our legacy. If you're a Christian, you want to have your legacy go forward, right? We all have a legacy, leave our leave our legacy through spiritual children, but we, here it is, we don't have the time. You would say, Chris, I'd love to do that. 
I would love to invest. Listen, but do you understand my work schedule and then my workout schedule? And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of shows that I watch and that I got to keep up with. And listen, I have a lot of stuff going on on social media and there's a lot of work to be done and the house needs to be clean and there's kids that need to be raised. And listen, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And so what happens, listen, there's a lot of good things that are going on in your lives. And you would say to me, Chris, I want to leave a spiritual legacy, but I'm booked. Okay, okay, which is, I can, we're going to talk about that. Uh, and then also, um, we have a desire to leave spiritual legacy, but we don't have any confidence in Christ. And so this is what you'd say, like, Chris, 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 listen, I would love to do that, but I don't know the Bible at all to begin with. I, I don't even have a place to, I don't have a frame of reference to start. I don't know where to even go from here. And I, listen, I love what you're saying, um, but listen, I can teach somebody uh, how to have a good marriage. I can teach somebody how to b- balance a budget. I can teach somebody how to, but when you talk about leaving a legacy in Christ, that's just like above my pay grade. I'll leave that to you, pastor people. And what I want to share with you, my heart for you is that is for you as well as it is for me. And that's what makes everyone awkward stare at their shoes and, what do we pay you for? No, like that's, a, that's sort of where we go, right? Because we, listen, we are a culture that outsources everything. And so I'm going to outsource that to you. And I'll even give extra so I don't have to do that. And so what I want you to see is that's where God is calling you to be involved in the lives. And so there's a, I'm going to talk about how what happens if you don't have confidence in Christ, okay? And then let's just be real. About, probably about the primary reason that we're not leaving a spiritual legacy is because we're pretty self-centered. Like, listen, if it doesn't have to do with me and my, like, people that I really care about, like, biologically, and I have to, like, I don't know, pay for their college at some point or, like, you know, just make sure they're not in a gutter somewhere, I, I can't go there because my life is stretched so thin in other places. And listen, I get it, I get it. I know people need to do that. And so this morning, I want to kind of hit those. And I'm going to come at you, uh, come at you like we're going to battle or something, but I'm going to bring this... Uh, Here's the, the three things I want us to model. All right, here's like, if I was to say at the end of this, what do I want? I want um, us to model relationship. And listen, we don't know how to have a relationship. Men, men, men in particular don't. Why? Because we were never modeled that. Uh, our dads never sat down and said, here's how you have enough conversation with another man and like laid it out. Nobody did that. And so for you, as you get older, because you've never experienced it, you're not in college or high school anymore, you're growing more isolated over time. And so when it comes to having a relationship with another man that you would like say, I want to invest my life in you, you already feel weird about that statement. All right, so we're going to work at that. And so then, but we're going to model boldness, like boldness for Christ. And we're going to learn it's not just evangelism. And then I want us to be able to model and challenge people to take steps of faith. Okay, that's where we're going. We're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible or a device or something, would you pull out 2 Timothy? And we are going to, really it's like the whole letter to Timothy, but we're going to focus on the first chapter primarily. And we're going to watch how Paul writes to his spiritual child. Now Paul was single, was single his whole life, never had kids, but still had a legacy that he left through young men, Okay. We're going to pray and ask God to open up our hearts to receive his word. Father, thank you um, that you're constantly working on us and asking us, who's your trainer? Is it the culture? Uh, is it our busyness or is it you? And so, God, I pray that this morning we'd tune into you and we say, God, train me to reach the next generation. Please, Jesus. And God, I pray, I pray 
that as we open up your word, um, we'd feel great joy. There'd be no guilt. It'd be just maybe a conviction that of something I need to do, but not anything that is like this compulsory, obligatory thing of like a drive-by guilting. But God, we would have this great hope and great peace and joy in you of the things that we are called to do for you. Lord, we love you. So in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... All right, here we go. Second Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going. So this is written from uh, what most scholars think the Mamertine prison, which I know everyone's like, ooh, that sounds like a cool name. All right, so the Mamertine prison had a cool name, but it was a really a dungeon. It wasn't fun to be in. About a 30-foot diameter, big hole in the ground, and you put like a big cap on top of the hole and put a manhole cover in, and you drop somebody down about 30, 40 feet, and that's sort of their life. And maybe some food would come down. You get some maybe uh, some access by your friends calling down to you, and that would just, you know, guilt by association kind of thing. Uh, I know that for a fact. When we were in Iraq, we would just arrest people that were, like, friends of them, and then we'd figure it out later. Like, that's sort of what would happen back then. Like, th- that was the reality that people were facing, and so Paul is in this prison, and visitors are not exactly frequent. And it's, it's getting, it, there was a time when when Paul, as a young man, he took beatings, and he, he was like, bring it on. And now as a roughly 64-year-old man, in that day, that was particularly old. And t- on top of that, the guy had already been stoned to death, shipwrecked. I mean, he had, his body had seen better days. And so he, here he is in the Mamertine prison, scrawling out on some paper a letter to his young protege, Timothy. And I want us to read it together. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I'm going to pause real quick. Whenever people read this, those scholars like, there's no way Paul would have written this. Because if this is like your lifelong protege, you call him your beloved child, you wouldn't start off with like, I'm an apostle, like I'm somebody. Unless, unless, and that's what scholars say, that's why this couldn't be a Pauline letter. However, it is a letter that Paul wrote because we know that what he knew is that Timothy would circulate this letter. So he's coming in that authority, and he's reminding, he's going to have a lot of personal language in here, but he fully knows that this stuff's going to be passed around. All right, watch this. Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. And again, um, when was the last time you called someone that wasn't your actual family your beloved child? Okay, not ladies, men. Right, that's just weird. We don't do that. Why? Because that assumes a connection, and that assumes like a intimacy. That assumes a lot. Okay, and let's just take it before the whole world got okay with their feelings back in this time. All right, and so people don't write like my beloved child unless there was unbelievable amount of intimacy there, and they had spent time together ministering. They spent time together as family. They'd spent time together knowing one another. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he's going to transition, and he's going to talk about his prayer life, which when I think about prayer life, I'm thinking Paul's probably saying, God, get me out of here, right? That would be my prayer. But he goes, I thank God whom I serve, as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Now, I don't know in the Mamertine prison if you could tell night and day. Like, this, maybe there's like a small hole and maybe it lit up, you know, like 
the one place where he could write, and since he's probably the only lyric guy in prison, he gets that hole or he gets that spot of light. I don't know. Like, this is where I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, if I'm, again, if this is me, if I'm praying night and day, I'm praying, God, get me out of here. Like, I got ministry to do, I got things to say, I got things to do. Remember, this is not, uh, you remember in his, his letters that he wrote to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, that was all in like Club Med prison, where you got cable TV and a rec yard. Like that was uh, a way better setup, and he'd be like strapped up to a Praetorian Guard member, his buddies would come and go, and he'd be entertaining guests, it was like a big party time, all the Praetorian Guard becomes Christians. It was a good life. It was like living off government dime for Jesus. It was great. And so what happened, what happened is he's not there. And his prayers are pretty potent. And he's like going, God, please look out for my boy, Timothy. And, and if you are a parent or if you have a relationship with somebody that intimate, that no matter where you are, you're always praying for your kid. Because that's what you do when you learn to love somebody like that. And then he says, I remember your tears. And so it wasn't just like, um, Paul's affection for Timothy, it was reciprocated. And I, I love it. As I remember your tears, remember, he saw him crying. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. This word long to see you, um, it's epithumia. It's a, it's a word that could mean at some point lust in some ways, but just means a, a hurting passion on the inside. I hurt for you. So I, there's this thing in me that just, is, I'm pained. I remember your tears. And I just like, I want to see you again. And I could just imagine as Paul was arrested and taken away and maybe Timothy was there and he, as he watches Paul whisk away in the back of the paddy wagon heading off to the Mamertine prison. I don't know how that worked, but I, that's sort of like, I can imagine just for a second that Timothy just weeping, watching his beloved Paul being taken away. And he goes on, verse five, I'm reminded what does he remember? Of your sincere faith, he knows Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Now, let's just take a poll. How many of you know um, somebody's grandparent that goes to our church? Anybody? I got one grandparent that I know, all right? So uh, I've got, so Dory's son, or yeah, so Dory's daughter's son, all right, Luca, all right, I actually know all the way up four generations to Linda, all right, so I feel pretty good about that, all right, so I'm feeling pretty good, like I've got one person here, and, uh, and Luca actually comes to my community group, pretty excited about that, yeah, so uh, there's like one kid, all right, so he's, he's 18, he's got a whole world to go, and I'm excited about uh, his life, and I actually do know his whole family tree, but what I want you to see is that in general, you don't know many people and their grandmother, right? Because what happens is we don't spend enough time with people. And here, here's the truth. You're like, well, Chris, this was like, you know, ancient times. And of course, like everyone lived in like pretty much collective communities of family. Well, sort of. Remember, Paul was only in Ephesus as a pastor there for two years. So listen, that, that you barely get to know anybody in two years, especially if he's doing evangelism. He's constantly out. He's doing ministry. He's hanging. And the reason why he knew is his boy Timothy was always with him, and he knew his mom, and he was at grandma's house. And the thing that you're sort of missing here is there's a no father. And I don't know if that was because he left because of the whole Christianity thing was too much or if he died, but Paul stepped in and filled a role that was so needed by Timothy. And I need you to hear me right now, everybody in the building that's over 30. We have young men 
all over Austin that would kill for a Paul. There, there, there is this opening, broken, flat-out broken hearts of men that are saying, nobody invests in me. One, because they don't know how to talk to older men. They just don't know how. And so you think that you're not cool enough, but the reality is they want to talk to you. They just don't know how. Okay? And what they're wanting for is you to step in and know their story about how they don't really have a dad and they have a great mom and a great grandma, but uh, they never learned about what it was to be a man. Help me. We need to retrain some people that have been poorly parented and people that are in broken places and they desperately need it. And they're saying, who? And so what we leave them with is a culture that is going away from the gospel at mock speed, only getting faster. And we're just like, well, someone's going to do it. And you're right. It's going to be the next show that's binge worthy. All right, I'll, I'll hop off that soapbox. Okay. And he says this, watch. For this reason, I remind you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He was doing ministry with him. He, so much so that he's like, I see the potential in you, and I want to see it go kinetic. I want, I'm gonna, we're going to have a, we're going to get, we're going to celebrate you going to ministry. We're going to enjoy that. We're going to go like, well, look what God has done. One of the cool things that, uh, that I get, we get to experience that James Foster, about to graduate from seminary, I think actually just graduated from seminary, it's just this incredible, or this week, made. He, he's going to graduate, and it's just this incredible thing that we get to celebrate with him. And this is sort of like that. This is like, hey, you are now at a place of uh, full-on ministry, and James is at that place, and we celebrate stuff like that. I want to see that all that potential go kinetic. And for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now watch. Paul modeled spiritual and emotional investment. Now, this is something that we need to start doing. Remember, this takes time. This takes, you know, I don't want to waste your time. You've got a limited amount of time. And uh, I think this, what, what's hard about that is in general, when we think about that, we're like, who's going to want to spend time with me? It's probably somebody super needy as a, you know, they need a little extra grace and it's going to be really painful. Because, man, I don't, I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind of bandwidth. But I need you to see that at some point, the reward comes in something far greater. And I want to kind of highlight. So you guys saw Tara singing here. She's amazing. And so uh, you have to highlight the people on the band. No, I'm just kidding. It just happens that Tara sang, and so here we're talking about her. Uh, but Craig and Tara Kelso, uh, incredible people of our church, and... Um, uh, and what I really saw, you may, may know this, is that Tara and Craig uh, took in a 20-year-old, 22-year-old woman about uh, four years ago. And uh, her name is Kate. And, uh, and the thing that is, was interesting about Kate, and Kate gave me full permission to share all this, is that uh, she'd been in and out of mental health institutions. She had tried to kill herself several times. She was at a place where she was completely broken and had nowhere to go. And Tara... Uh, invests in her and invites her in, and she has the Tara Kelso boot camp strategy to reform your life. Craig got to play good cop, and Tara was the boot camp instructor. And so what happened is they, they took her from a place. No, no, this is huge. They took her from a place where she doesn't have a driver's license because she can't function because her go-to, whenever there's like a moment of clarity, is to go back to the party, back to the drugs, back to the depression, back to the place. And so there's this great reward in the day that she gets her driver's license, and they all celebrate like crazy. You're welcome to the adult world. 
And then uh, even beyond that, it was more than that. And that, let me show you how, how to have friends and what friends look like because she didn't know. She only knew what it was for people to use her, abuse her, and take advantage of her. And so she invited him to her community. And here's Nikki Ruger, who was an incredible person that really invested in her life alongside Craig and Tara. And there's probably a gazillion other people that invest in her life, but it started with Craig and Tara being instrumental. Now, here's what I know that when you, when you hear stories like that, yeah, Tara, I mean, she might have been a little boot campy, but she's probably like... She's sappy like that stuff, and she like just loves probably girls and girly things, and and just you know probably has Bible studies and takes pictures of her quiet times and puts it on Instagram. And <laughs> that's not Tara. I don't know if you know Tara. That's not Tara. That is like not even her by a mile. In fact, Tara. Uh, I don't know if there's a, like if you were to take a spiritual gifts test, like compassion would be like way down there. Okay, like <laughs> like that. Like she's like. I don't have time for this, all right? I got a limited amount of time. You're not it. And so what would cause a person like that, right, like that sort of looks at the world as like, mm, I don't know, <laughs> to train a person, to reparent a person, a 22-year-old woman, to how to become an adult, how to hold a job, how to not be a victim to the world? And the reason why is Tara had that modeled for her. You see, uh, Tara's mom battled with depression. And when uh, Tara's mom uh, gave birth to her, her dad had already checked out. He's like, they've been married for 20 years. He says, like, you're having a kid. That was never part of the plan. I'm out. Walks away. And uh, so Tara's mom battled with depression and battled and just like, what am I going to do? And there's another lady at church, and her name was... Uh, Faye, and Faye said, why don't you come stay with me for a little bit? And so when that baby was born, it came into Faye's house. And Faye said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what Jesus is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you, and I'm going to give you some love, but it's a little tough when you need it, and I'm going to be there and uh, understand there's firmness in Christ, but there's also tender mercy that's compassionate, and I want you to understand what that love looks like. And so it wasn't just like uh, that she took her in... Uh, for like a year. No, no, we're talking like, here's Tara at, uh, sorry, here's Tara at uh, six, and then here's Tara when they get married, all right, when she marries Craig. It's like she's been there the whole time, in and out, always like cons consistent with her love and compassion and the direct firmness, which uh, probably is where Tara is a lot, emulates a lot of that. And what I love about that is that even at a wedding when uh, she gets married and her mom's there uh, next to Tara, and then there's Faye over here. And this is an incredible thing. Watch, 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 watch. Shortly after this, Tara's mom would die. Ovarian cancer would take her. And maybe that's the part where you go, oh, that was nice. That was, uh, that was Tara's mom and Faye, and they were just really close like that. No, no, there was an investment uh, with Faye and Tara. And and so they stayed close and sort of like uh, Faye stepped into that role of um, a mother, uh, of a parent, of a spiritual uh, guide in their life, always pressing them towards Jesus. So, so much so um, that when uh, Tara and Craig moved down to Austin and Faye was getting up in years, they moved her down with them and said, well, we want to take care of you. Now, this is the part where you're like, what does it have to do with that first story? Well, let me, 
during a period of time after that she was 22 and moved with Craig out, there was another woman at church that uh, was leaving an abusive uh, alcoholic husband, father, and um, they moved in with Faye. And that was Kate. And Kate grew up in her elementary years just being doted on and loved and being very firm with. And then I don't know if you guys know this about teenagers. In general, they don't do well with anything firm. And so she's out. And she goes to the party. And she goes to the life. And she starts living it. And she gets, she gets checked into a mental health place. It's not working. She gets out. And she, she calls Faye and says, can I come back to you? And by this time, she's in Austin. And so they get her down here. And she moves in with Mama Faye. And then four months later, she dies. And that's why Tara brings in Kate. You see, that's, that's the beauty of, of, of the story, is that Tara had modeled for her legacy. Listen, listen, like, there'll be other women, they're all going to hear about Mama Faye at some point. Faye had such an impact in Tara's life that generated, like, uh, Kate is going to talk about uh, Tara and Faye, and then, you know, it's, discipleship doesn't end there. Tara is still discipling, and she's investing in the, the story of Faye and the way that she loved people and was firm with people and imparted Christ to people. That's what goes forward. And here's, what I, here's what you're probably thinking. Like, where do I get one of those? And this is why I challenge the people that are over 30 and like have their life sorted together. Like, we need you in play. Because there's a lot more Kates and there's a lot more people that are really, there's a lot of terrors out there that are going to grow into spiritual giants because somebody invested. And that's why I want to see legacy left. Now, I know that's hard because here's what you'd say. I don't know enough about Jesus. Well, watch what, watch what Paul says about that. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. In other words, there was a point in which I was dead in my sin. There was a point where darkness ravaged my life and Jesus came and saved me. And if you don't have that testimony, then you can't impart a spiritual legacy. But if you do have that testimony... You can. So he said, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, because that's what got him in jail, is his testimony, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The, the gospel is what God's work in us. In fact, he's going to declare that. He said, God, gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy, holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is what I love about this. This is, what, this is what gets you in jail, this line. Because here's what, here's what Paul could have done. Hey, listen, everybody. Um, hey, we got to add a God to the Areopagus. Man, Parthenon, we could put an extra room on. Here's Jesus. Bring in Jesus, and we'll kind of bring a Trinitarian thing in here too because he just is one of the many. And here's what you have to do. You have to live this life, be morally right, do a bunch of rituals. And that could be further from what the gospel is all about. This is why Paul gets in trouble, because he says, Jesus paid it all. 
Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for your sin, and there's no performance to be expected. And so what that does, it makes everybody angry who has another God. It's like, you just claimed exclusivity on your God. He's like, absolutely. And then it makes everybody who's like moralistic. Like if you, if you people believe that, they're just going to do whatever they want. That's the double fear, which makes everybody doubly angry at Christians because everything's based on grace. Okay purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He just says, on Jesus, on Jesus all the time. And he explains, listen, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, rose to death. He didn't just die for the penalty of our sin. He died for the power of sin so that, and whenever that moment, and there's fear, I don't know if I'm good enough. I can't possibly know. I don't know. That he says, listen, you are my, if you have the light of God within you, then you have something to impart to the next generation. Okay, now, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then he gets back to this thing of not being ashamed. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able. It's not my work that keeps me in, in the faith, it's his. Okay, which you're like, okay, Chris, God, I got it. We went over the gospel again. No, the problem with us is that we don't focus on the gospel enough. This is our problem. Every time you're like, Chris, we got Jesus died on the cross. You say it every time. No, this is the problem of why your marriage is hard, because you don't believe it, that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and your sin is that bad, and you deserve death and hell, and you deserve the wife or husband you got. That makes everyone look too awkward. Like, no, I'm not that bad. No, you are that bad. That's your problem. You don't recognize that. And so what happens is you start to sort of see yourself as just a little bit better than everybody else. But if Jesus is the one who's able to guard it, because we all know if left your own devices, you're going to be a complete train wreck. Okay. So he's able to guard it until that day, which has been entrusted to me. So Paul modeled Christian boldness. And I think when we think Christian boldness, we think someone who's out there sharing the gospel, being bold for Jesus, telling, and that's true. That is true. In fact, um, one of my favorite people uh, is Robert Sass, and Robert's right over here. Uh, and Robert is bold for the gospel, and he trains people all the time on how to share their faith. He goes, he goes house to house, knocking on doors. Going like, hey, can I pray for you? I want to just love you. I want to let you know that God cares about you. And you're like, that might be a big stream for me. But he's bold. In fact, so bold, uh, he takes other people with him. And one of those guys is like Jeff Mitchell. And so Paul, or, so what Paul did with Timothy, Robert does with Jeff. And they do. They go house to house, knock on doors. How can I pray for you? What can, can I share a story with you that's brought me great hope? Let me tell you about my testimony. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. Would you like to receive that? I'm like, no, you guys are weird. And that's fine. Okay, now listen, listen. But it, what happens with boldness, I think what, what we do is we sort of like leave that to um, the people that are outgoing love being Bible preachery people to outdoor people and like the rest of us being bold is just like I don't know putting your Bible on your desk okay and what I want to show you boldness isn't necessarily only a it's, it is about being an evangelist but it's also about your private life and if you don't know this about Robert um, one of the things that he's been very vocal about is that he had an addiction to porn for forever 
And uh, he overcame that by the power of the gospel. The gospel didn't just save him. It sanctified him by helping him overcome desire and death. And that's one of those things that he openly confesses that he puts it to death daily. Okay, that, that is his life. That is, if you know Robert, you're going to hear that story about that. But more than that, and he models that for Jeff, and then he models that for people. And one of the things that he had to model for Jeff is what it means to humbly confess sin. And so Jeff, uh, I know this is hard to believe. Did you know that people sometimes have friction in community groups? Can you believe that church people sometimes don't get along? I, I know. Like, this is the first time ever in the history of the church. And so what happened, it was a big deal. We had to call uh, like the Christian Broadcasting Network, said we had the first time that Christians didn't get along. And they, they brought their news report. I'm kidding. Okay, so what happened is, is uh, Jeff had an issue, and he shares with Robert, I'm really frustrated with my community group, and John, he's not leading it well, and I, you know, I, there's things that need to change, and nobody under... And then Robert goes, well, it sounds like you need to go talk to him about that. So well, I can't really... I mean, yeah, I mean it's like, it sounds like you're harboring in your heart darkness, and what does the Bible say about that? This is the gospel. Did you hear me? There's like, when you have... The problem of, of, with us is not our actions, it's our wrong thinking. And so when pride seeped into Jeff's heart, saying, like, I have to deal with these idiots, like we've all done. <laughs> and we start talking about people in the they category, right? And, and Robert confronts him, says, no, no, that's wrong. You need to go and apologize and make right before John and confess your sin to him. So in fact, that's what Jeff did. He's like, all right, man, I guess that's fine. All right, so he goes joyfully uh, uh, to a, a lunch on a Friday. And he says, listen, I need to confess my sin to you. Would you pray for me? I've, I've sinned against you by harboring these dark thoughts, which was just like, man, what did I do? Uh, and, uh, and, but John prays, says, listen, I've been frustrated with the way the things have been going. And he's like, oh, well, let me bring you. I'm sorry, I didn't do that. And he's like, oh, you apologized to me. I was coming to apologize to you. And then all of a sudden, uh, they kind of walk out of that as hand in hand as like happy friends, which it seems like every time I see a picture with Jeff, there's not one normal one there, all right? It's kind of like the kid, in, one of my kids always sticks his tongue out, and it's like, come on, Jeff, just put your, anyway. So here's what happens, right? Like, there's this reality of, like, the gospel is going forward, right? And the legacy of Robert Sass is being seen in, watch this, relationships between men who don't know how to have relationships with men, who don't know how to say man to man, something bothers me. Does that, did you guys know that's what men do? Hey, something's bothering me. Can I talk to you about it? That's what men do. And then you walk away from that. Oh, wow, that was actually not as hard. And you save relationship. Here's what we do. Can I, man, I'm about to get on my soapbox. Here's what we do. Oh, you blank me off. I'm out. I'm going to ghost you on your text. I'm not going to bother meeting with you. I don't want to deal with that because you are whatever. And I'm, listen, I don't blame you. You just never were trained. So, so this is what I want us to see is that there's a legacy that's going to, listen, this isn't just we're going to have a great church of Christian, Christian things and be nice people getting nicer. It's we're going to learn how to be men and women of God. Okay, that's my soapbox. All right, transition, transition. Well, how do we make this a regular habit, right? Well, watch, watch what Paul says. Follow the pattern of sound of the sound words that you've heard from me like what you heard me say what you saw me do in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the holy spirit who dwells 
within us. Guard the good deposit. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you said that Jesus guards good deposit. No, what he's talking about is that there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be other people who want to say, listen, don't listen to Paul. You got to work. You got to perform to be accepted. And if you work really hard, God will be even happier with you. He'll even bless you more. And the problem with that is it gets away from the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and we're all wrecks and there's nothing we can bring to the table but our wretchedness and that Jesus saves us. Okay, watch. It's been entrusted to you. You're aware, watch this, all who are in Asia turned away from me. So if you don't know where Asia is, what he's talking about is modern-day Turkey or Galatia, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes, and he's calling names out. Like, listen, be careful of those dudes because they are going to try to take the message astray and we've got to guard the gospel because all of a sudden the people start saying that there's another way to heaven or that you have to be circumcised or that you have to follow some religious ritual. Get out. Okay, then watch. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And I love Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me. And I love this. He's able to say, listen, I needed help. I'm not, I'm not too big or too strong to say I don't need help. And he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me. Listen, the Mamertine prison wasn't like one of those, uh, uh, like, here, let's take a tour of Rome. Here's the Mamertine prison. These are all the super criminals are. No, this is the place that you didn't talk about that was really filthy, and we kept, you know, the, the aristocratic, the privileged people. Don't go over that way. And he had to search and work hard, and that is dangerous when you're looking for a prisoner that people have kept under guard for a reason. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And as as you well know, all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Why do we know about Ephesus? Timothy was a pastor at Ephesus after Paul. Okay, then he says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share and suffer. And he's going to go on. He's going to go on. He's going to go on and give them 40 commands. All right, here's 40 things to do. Here's your task list. To which he's like, wow, I thought you knew you were praying for me, but I didn't know I was going to get a workload out of that. No, 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 watch. Paul modeled living for Christ and challenged Timothy to do the same. In fact, if you want to hear the things he would say is like, listen, guard the good deposit, avoid irreverent babble, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant contraries, don't be quarrelsome, be kind to everyone, be able to teach, patiently endure evil, correct opponents with gentleness, but understand, avoid such people, continue in what you've learned, preach the word, be ready, reprove, rebuke, exhort, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists. 40 commands, he's like over, boom, 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 boom. It's not, again, this doesn't earn his friendship, it's because they are so deeply connected. And one of the guys that, uh, that I've had ability to impart a lot of my life into is James Meyer. He's our missionary in Africa who the, the mission trip we talked about today, that's who we're going to go see. And uh, James invested uh, his life into um, Justin Spires, who was sitting right over there. I don't know where he went. He just, he like, we're, he knew we were going to talk about him. He ran away. Uh, and so, uh, oh yeah, he's in children's ministry. That's right. So what happened with, with uh, Justin 
In fact, this is really cool that he is in children's ministry. Because the whole point. Because when James came, I said, hey, listen, we will send you, to, send you to Africa. We'll send you to the mission field, but serve here. Be a part of the church. I want you to get to know people. And so James served in the parking lot, ran the youth ministry, uh, was inviting people left and right to our church, and was constantly involved in the life cycle, which is why many of you know him, and he, you get random texts from him at Odark 30. And then so when Justin comes out, uh, to Africa for a carrot, uh, what happened is you see that, that Justin says, I want to go be, I want to do missions just like you're doing. I want to go start, you know, you're the largest uh, goat farm in East Africa. I want to have a largest sheep farm in Peru. And James like, yeah, let's do it. He's like, so I feel like I'm just going to leave because he was in Africa visiting James. I'm just going to leave here and just go straight there. And he's like, why would you do that? You're kidding, right? He's like, no, no. I mean, l- listen, I got stuff to do. Life short, get there. I don't need you know, I don't need the church really to support me. It's like, well, then I'm not going to support you. What, what, when somebody submits to the church, they're submitting to the mission. Did you know that the mission has a church, the church doesn't have a mission? And so you can't separate the mission of reaching people for Jesus from the church. You just can't do it. So, so you go back and you go, go become a member of Wells Branch Community Church and go before the elder board and say, am I approved to be sent? which Justin's like, mm, that's delaying this whole thing by at least a year. I'll submit to that. You see, because what he saw in James was the modeling and the challenge. Because listen, it's not like, uh, remember, we're, we're normal people. So James, if I, I, we've had it out over the phone, over FaceTime, all sorts of things. Now, I love James deeply, but we've had conflict. Do you submit to things that the elder board sort of approves, doesn't approve, kind of all that? And he gets on board with that. And he said, listen, your role is to get on board with that. And this is what's hard because, listen, we don't call people to do anything. We don't challenge people. Why don't we challenge people? Because it's, it's not nice. We don't want to be that involved. Because remember, if you challenge somebody, that assumes relationship. And so here's Paul, assuming the relationship, giving Timothy a task list to go and knock out of a character that he should have defined in his life because he loves him and cares for him. Here's James saying, like, your character and your mission are connected to the church and it's never apart. And I love that. And so this is the thing that I need us to get our head around. Um, if you're a Christian, this is what we do. We reach the next generation with a spiritual legacy. And listen, if you have biological children, of course, that should be your spiritual legacy. If you don't, God is calling you to reach the next generation, just like Paul. And so my heart for you is ask this question, and I'm going to do some proper grammar here. Watch this. With whom will you model Christ? And listen, you're like, Chris, that's... (laughs) That's not me. I don't, ha- I, don't even, I don't even know what the table of contents is. Well, come and talk to us. This is what we do. I would love to put you in contact with people that are ready right now to go invest in your life and teach you how to read this. But maybe how about this? To simply come to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's, it goes like this. Like, you're a sinner. God created everything perfect. We wrecked it up. We are our 
We have rebellion in our hearts, and Jesus came, and he died on the cross for that rebellion. If we receive it, we have eternal life. Bam. And he rose from the dead, and he sent us the Holy Spirit to live in us so that when we encounter people, we don't operate in the flesh, which is fear, which is I got to impress, which is I got to do something, but in faith, which I got to love, and I'm going to, I know that God has something far greater that my circumstances aren't determined, or rather my, my joy, my hope isn't determined by my circumstances, but by what God has already got in complete control. That is, that's life. And if you are a Christian and you've been on the bench because you're like, Chris, you don't understand. I can't, I don't. There's a spiritual legacy to be left. And it might be there's somebody, some young man, some young woman, another Kate, another Tara, that you could invest in. Show them how to live life. Give them the strengths of your giftings, but impart Christ in a way that they go, I'm going to pass this on to the next generation. And so that's what I want to wrestle with today. And one of the things that, the way that we, we kind of take this to heart is we take communion. We remember what Jesus did for us. So Jesus, on the night who's betrayed, he, symbolically, he took bread, he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Your, your soul feeds on Jesus like your stomach feeds on bread. And he died for you. And that same night, he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Our salvation rests upon his work on the cross alone. And so, this morning, uh, we're going to take some time to just reflect on what Jesus did for us. And I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never received Christ, maybe find that little cup there and you've never, you don't really know how to open them. Uh, you know, get your fingers nimble. And, and what I want you to do is like, while you're doing it, think about, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. On that bulletin that we had everyone QR code, uh, there's a place that I want to receive Jesus as my savior. Go back to that, click it, and we will help you take the next step. But if you're wanting to take the next step of faith, that might be like, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose to the dead and you take communion with us today. I would love that. And if you've been walking with God and God's convicting your heart that it's time to move forward, like confess that to him. As we go to a time of prayer and we bring before God all our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We worship you. God, I pray that your grace would be sufficient and we would uh, know fully that you are in complete control. And God, I'm praying for the person who doesn't know you, who maybe just showed up here for the first time. They come to believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for their sin and their performance, their morality isn't what's at stake here, but rather it's your performance and your morality that you lived the perfect life because we couldn't. And then when you died on that cross and you rose from the dead, you showed that it was finished for all, that we could put our faith and trust in you and we could receive the Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome the power of sin in our day-to-day lives. So Lord, we thank you for that. And I'm praying for somebody to receive that right now. And Father, I'm praying for those of us who've been walking this thing out and have desire to reach the next generation, to leave a spiritual legacy that people would tell stories about, like the Peter Horns or, or Mama Faye. And God, I'm praying that this morning you would do that. We'd start now and say with this commitment to, I'm going to go and ask a younger person or a, another person that's not 
uh, as far as the faith as I am, I wouldn't say, can I give my life to you? And God, I pray people will be bold enough to receive that and maybe even ask for an older man or someone, an older woman or someone more mature in the faith to speak into their life. God, you're good. And so Lord, if we take the next 30 seconds just to contemplate um, the darkness of our heart, to confess that to you before we take communion together. In Jesus' name we pray.